Another Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the line and talk to the movers, movers and shakers of the film and TV makers, uh, directors, writers, cinematographers, production designers, sound editors, sound mixers, uh, actual film editors, uh, and of course, talent and so many others. Um, year is almost up. Almost up. Uh, we're going to be taking a few weeks off uh, coming up here. And uh, next week is debatable right now. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of it depends on who's around and who's available. But uh, today, very excited about today. A filmmaker that I first, that I spoke with back in February of 2013. Uh, David Guy Levy is going to join us today. When I last spoke with him, it was about a film called Would You Rather? And it was a thriller and playing a game in order to, would you rather? We all know that game, kind of like Truth or Dare, but this is called Would You, would you Rather? I love the film. Uh, it was great. And his timing, his pacing was wonderfully executed. Um, and I just kept waiting for something else from him. Uh, we now have something brand new from him that's opening up the Mandela effect. Now, I don't know how many of you know about the Mandela effect, but, uh, Mandela effect came into vogue, uh, a number of years ago, uh, when in 2009, so it's been about a decade and it, the phrase was coined because, masses of the popu global population believed that Nelson Mandela had died in prison, that he was dead. He was not. Some studies were done. And then other, other things, uh, such as Snow White and the Evil Queen and the phrase mirror, mirror on the wall. Well, that isn't actually the phrase. It's magic mirror. Um, but things just... Now, I always attribute it just to people to being sheeple. But, and you hear one thing and that's what sticks in your head. Uh, a lot of it has to do with alliteration, I think. But there are also, it's called the Mandela effect. When people imagine, th truly believe things that happen differently than how they actually happened. Or believe things that are different than what they are. It could be used to describe politics today. Probably, but, you know, Pam's sitting in the booth laughing. Um, but in this particular case, and it's come down to science, there's all kinds of hypotheses here, which I find really interesting. After everything we've seen in sci-fi, you know, we've seen the temporal nexus uh, through Star Trek, uh, going back to Madeline Engel and A Wrinkle in Time back in the 1950s with going between realities, going between, uh, you know, time, it's 
everything is on the same plane and you're just moving within the plane. Um, some very interesting hypotheses that are out there. Um, one of the biggest ones sliding from, from one reality and reality to another. But with the Mandela effect, Mandela effect film, what David does, he creates a story about a couple where their daughter has died. And the father, he's a video game, he's a coder. And he gets this idea and finds and researches and finds a scientist also with the same idea that there are glitches, that there is a base reality. And as things happen, they happen, but then there are glitches. And what if you could recode reality and remove glitches? What would happen? You know, and this is something that, again, has been addressed countless times in films. Like you go back in time. Okay, don't interact with yourself. Don't change anything. Don't do anything. Uh, so the possibilities are endless when you start exploring what here is addressed as the Mandela effect. Um, so I can't wait to talk to David about this and his conception and how he came up with this and uh, his casting. So this is going to be a really interesting conversation at uh, the second half of the show. But you're also going to get to hear shortly my exclusive interview with Jessica Hausner, writer-director of Little Joe, which just opened this weekend. This is an amazing film. It is creepy. It is cool. Um, and it is a visual stunner. It is hypnotic. And it's all about a plant, a series of plants, genetic, en genetic engineering and modification. I can't talk well today. It was a traumatic drive into the studio today when bridges are closed and I get rerouted into neighborhoods that I don't know. Um, but no, Little Joe, genetic engineering uh, of a plant that makes you happy. Um, so it's a fascinating film. It's a visual stunner. And as I said, it is, it's so choreographed. It is so deliberate. It is so precise. And Jessica's use of color, um, it truly is hypnotic. And you are swept into and mesmerized by, quote-unquote, the power of Little Joe. Uh, so you're going to hear my exclusive interview uh, with Jessica in a few minutes. But first, let's uh, come on, we're getting closer to the Oscars. Oscars are February 9th. Nominations are Monday, January 13th. Very, 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 very early this year. Uh, but this morning, Golden Globe nominations were announced. Uh, the Globes, of course, will be aired live on television on January 5th from the Beverly Hilton in Beverly Hills. It was a big day for Netflix. Marriage Story picked up six nominations. The Irishman picked up five. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood picked up five. They also did exceedingly well on the television end. Um, and this is after a weekend with L.A. Film Critics Association announced their winners. Uh, critics Association, uh, the, the bigger, um, blah, the broadcast film critics announced theirs. New York announced theirs. Um, a lot of incredible uh, awards being being offered up this year. And what's interesting is that very few really are going out on a ledge. Uh, 
with Hollywood Foreign Press and the Golden Globes, I fully expected to see, you know, something out of the norm, such, you know, like a few years ago when The Martian, The Martian was nominated for Best Musical or Comedy. I still don't understand that one. But uh, Golden Globes this morning were pretty mainstream. They They pretty much followed and walked the straight and narrow. Best Motion Picture Drama, The Irishman, Marriage Story. Marriage Story is turning out to be, it's, if you're watching, by the way, on the AdrenalineRadio.com Facebook page, uh, we're live streaming on there as well because owner Nick likes to play with toys like that. Uh, and you will see my tablescape here that has all kinds of award screeners and hmm, a few things known as Star Wars. Uh, but Marriage Story. This is really turning out to be championed by so many critics associations for and the big guns like the Golden Globes uh, for when it comes to actor Adam Driver, Scarlett Johansson. Uh, the critics associations are showing a lot of love for Noah Baumbach, who wrote and directed it. Uh, it's a very, very, very well done film. Um, it's called Marriage Story. But it basically, it's the story of leading to divorce. Uh, very excited with the Golden Globe no- nominations. In addition to Irishman and Marriage Story, 1917. As I mentioned the other week, I com- after I saw 1917, I had to completely rejigger all of my uh, nominations and voting for my own, for the Critics Associations of which I'm in. Um, because 1917 is just glorious, absolutely glorious. Um, Joker also picked up a Best Motion Picture Drama Golden Globe nom and the Two Popes. I am so, which if you're look, watching, you'll see Two Popes is down in the very front of the tablescape today. I love this film. Jonathan Price. Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins picked up some Critics Association Awards over the weekend. Uh, Jonathan Price picked up a Best Actor Drama nomination for the Golden Globes today. For my money, Jonathan Price is the stronger of the two in that film. But it is an absolutely fascinating film. True story, based on the true story of our current Pope and the prior Pope who resigned. Um, so I it's I can't recommend the film highly enough. It definitely is award-worthy, and I'm so thrilled to see the recognition that the film is getting. Uh, when we look at uh, best motion picture in a musical or a comedy for the Golden Globes, Rocket Man, that is still... Th- this is what makes it so difficult for me with the awards right this year, because... I love 1917. I have been on a Rocket Man campaign all year. But then, as best musical or comedy, we also have thrown in there Jojo Rabbit, which is phenomenal. Taika Waititi is brilliant. Uh, Knives Out, Ryan Johnson has just dazzled with this delicious, delectable whodunit that is flawless. There is not a hole to be found within the plot or within the production values of this film. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino's brilliant, brilliant film. 
Um, as much as I love Tarantino, I think this truly is. It has replaced the, uh, the Hateful Eight as being my favorite Tarantino film. Um, but yeah, so Globes for Dolomite, Jojo Rabbit, Knives Out, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Rocket Man. Uh, we watched Anna de Armas from Knives Out pick up a nomination for Best Actress, along with Aquafina for The Farewell. Kate Blanchett, the first thing we're hearing about with awards, Kate Blanchett for Where'd You Go, Bernadette? She is a joy, a hard-ass joy, playing Bernadette in this Richard Linklater film. Uh, Beanie Feldstein, who I know is getting a lot of love from Hollywood Critics Association, uh, also has been acknowledged with the Golden Globe nomination, uh, and Emma Thompson for Late Night. That was a surprise. Uh, Late Night kind of petered out at the box office earlier this year, and Emma, she's rapier, she's funny, um, she's fabulous in the film, but as it did at the box office, so it also does on screen, and it kind of whimpers and falters by the time we get to the third act. But it is nice to see Emma being acknowledged. Best Actor in a Musical or Comedy, Daniel Craig for Knives Out. Roman Griffin Davis. Roman Griffin Davis steals the show in Jojo Rabbit. And along with Roman, uh, his fellow, his counterpart, who uh, was has not been acknowledged with any awards, but Archie Yates. Trust me, go see Jojo Rabbit. Put Roman and Archie on your radars, people, because these are boys to watch. They are spectacular. Um, Taron Edgerton picked up uh, a Golden Globe nomination, as did Leonardo DiCaprio and Eddie Murphy. Another tight, tight category. Uh, Best Actor in a Motion Picture Drama Golden Globe nominations, Christian Bale for Ford versus Ferrari. Uh Ford versus Ferrari got a little traction over the weekend with some of the critics associations, uh, specifically for Faydon Papa Michael for his cinematography. Antonio Banderas, Pain and Glory, is popping up in a few places. Adam Driver, no surprise here, picks up a Golden Globe nom for Marriage Story. Similarly, Joaquin Phoenix for Joker, and I mentioned Jonathan Price. Uh, the best motion picture. This I found interesting because almost all the critics associations are talking about I Want My Body, which is, where is it? Do I have it here? No, it's over there. Um, I saw it uh, at the animation festival uh, earlier this fall, and it is magnificent. It is original. It is unique. It is so well done. It's funny. It has heart. And either sometime the next week, if, if we do a show next week, you're going to hear that my exclusive interview with the filmmakers of I Want My Body. But what we've got, Golden Globes picked up on, of course, Frozen 2. How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. I have to tell you, the animation in that film, it rounds out the story of Toothless. Uh, it's the third in the franchise. The animation goes to new heights, new levels. And it is a visual splendor to watch while your heart just smiles through the whole film. Uh, and still, new characters were introduced. 
new dragons were introduced. Um, and a lot of the critics associations and now the Go and now the Golden Globes, the Hollywood Farm Press have acknowledged um, how to train your dragon, the hidden world. The Lion King. This this for me is debatable. Is it animated? Is it live action? What do we classify this as now with the new technology that John Favreau used um, to bring the Lion King to life? Um, it, it's an interesting it's an interesting dilemma. Golden Globes have chosen to put it into the animated category. Missing Link from Leica. Oh my God, I, Leica. Travis Knight and Leica, uh, they are my heroes. They celebrate stop motion. Um, the work is always gorgeous. It's beautiful. Coraline a few years ago, a stunner. And this year they've got missing, uh, we've got uh, missing link. And also Toy Story 4 picked up uh, a Golden Globe nom. I would not be surprised if the three Disney films cancel each other out with the Golden Globes. And we wind up with either How to Train Your Dragon or Missing Link getting the Golden Globe from the Hollywood Foreign Press. Uh, as comes as no surprise, there's been a lot of chatter about Parasite. Interestingly, Parasite was not listed. Uh, not one of the best picture uh, drama nominees or comedy nominees for the, for the Golden Globes. However... It is a uh, Best Motion Picture nominee for Foreign Language Film, uh, Parasite. Parasite actually picked up a lot of Best Picture wins from some of the critics' associations. So it's going to be interesting to see how all of this shakes out uh, as we get closer to Oscars. Um, you know, it used, to, it used to have bellwethers of what could predict. Um, there are a few surprises with the Globes, nothing that's really out there. Uh, as has often happened in the past. So we'll just keep watching films and seeing what's happening. There's still a lot of critics associations that have not announced their award winners. Uh, they've announced nominees, but not their award winners. So we'll see what happens. But there are a lot of films out there for all of you uh, to see over the over the coming holiday weeks. Uh, one that I've got to mention, The Report, Scott C. Burns. This is a phenomenal film. Uh, personally, I would have given, I would nominate Adam Driver for this film as a best actor over Marriage Story. Similarly, Annette Bening uh, as playing Senator Dianne Feinstein, I got to tell you, I was doing a double take because much as Renee Zellweger playing Judy Garland, very similar with what Annette brings to playing uh, Senator Feinstein. Um, it's a powerful film. It's an important film, and it deals with the CIA detention interroga interrogation program investigation uh, that was created after 9-11. Um, Part of the pages have been turned over. The investigation was multi-year, very lengthy. There's still over 3,000 pages that no one has seen. Uh, it's a very intense film. It's a fabulous film, and it's one that everyone needs to see. And it's in theaters now.
The Lighthouse is in theaters now. Marriage Story is in theaters now. Dolomite is in theaters now. The Aeronauts. My love for the Aeronauts knows no bounds. It is phenomenal. There's so much for everyone to see out there right now. Um, it's a great time to be going to the movies. And of course, some of these films, Irishman, it's now on Netflix. Marriage Story, it's on Netflix. So if you can't make it to the theater, turn on Netflix and uh, you're going to find some really priceless stuff there. And of course, 1917 is a must, 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 must see. Come December 20th, let's face it, Star Wars, Rise of Skywalker uh, is going to be the one for the, for the whole world to see, uh, to watch this come to an end, uh, the ninth film in the originally envisioned package uh, from George Lucas. I can't wait to see it. Uh, I'll be seeing it next week. Uh, but uh, I'm very excited to see what happens, how this, how this wraps up. But Star Wars, the Star Wars universe isn't going anywhere, just like the MCU isn't going anywhere. Star Wars universe, we now have the newest hero, Baby Yoda. Um... Mandalorian, the number one, number one show in the world. And that's amazing. Um, but all you have to do is just look at Baby Yoda and you'll understand. But the production values are extremely high. Episode four was directed by Bryce Dallas Howard. Uh, not this past Friday, the Friday before. She is an amazing director, a chip off the old block. Uh, she definitely learned well uh, watching her father. Uh, and this is they it's the first time that a father daughter have done have been directing and they're directing in the same franchise. Uh, so that's that's kind of exciting. But I really want to see more from Bryce and what she does as a director. Um, and speaking of Bryce as a director, a uh, lot of chit chat over the fact that Golden Globes did not nominate any female directors. Film Independent Spirit Awards nominated female directors. A lot of the critics guilds uh, nominated female directors. Greta Gerwig being the, the name that pops up the most for Little Women. Unfortunately, I don't think Little Women is that good. There are many, many issues, many, many things I take issue with. I think that several, several of the roles were woefully miscast. Um... One of them being Florence Pugh, another being Timothy Chalamet. Um, if you love Little Women and you know the book, the original source material inside out, you will have no problem following all the temporal jumps that Greta has put into the film. If you are new to the world of Little Women, you're going to get lost because jump. there's so many jump cuts through time. Uh, that unless you know the characters and what happens within the story and seminal points, uh, I think you're going to be totally confused. The score, Alexander Desplat's score, is stunning. It is beautiful. It is the best part of that film. Um, Laura Dern is, you know, she's wonderful as Marmy. The, the one actor in the film that stands out above all else and comes as no surprise is Meryl Streep as Aunt March. 
She is divine. Uh, and I do like how Gerwig crafted Aunt March and beefed her up with more sage wisdom than we have seen in prior film versions. Um, it is a little, it's a little closer to the book uh, in terms of that character. But a lot of liberties that were taken to quote unquote promote feminism within the, the characters and all, it doesn't sit well in this package. Uh, and certainly not with paying homage to Louisa May Alcott and her work. Uh, but see it and decide for yourselves. Little Women comes out on Christmas Day. Um, now that I have talked up most of our first half hour, let us let us move on to and at least let you get uh, a little bit of our exclusive interview with Jessica Hausner talking about Little Joe um, to give you a sense of that. That actually will be up on BehindTheLensOnline.net this week. Uh, but let's take a listen to that uh, because David Guy Levy will be joining us yeah, probably within the next 10 minutes. So take a listen. Hello. Hi, Jessica. How are you? Hello. I'm fine. Well, I can't tell you how excited I am to talk to you today about Little Joe. I am in love with this film. Thank you. That sounds great. It is. It's creepy. It's cool. But it is extremely fascinating the way you interweave all sorts of, of thematic issues, motherhood, work, um, mental health gender um just you interweave it into a beautiful beautiful palette the same way alice has created through hybridization and manipulation little joe mm -hmm. and that that and that parallel there between your construct and what she does is so striking oh yeah um where did the idea for Little Joe come from? This is not the kind of story that, you know, you're sitting at breakfast and all of a sudden it's, I think I'm going to do a film about genetic engineering with a plant <laughs> uh, and a single mother. So I'm curious where the idea came from. Well, um, the idea for this film started um, with me... Be, um, I was very much sorry. I hear myself talking. That's a bit strange. Just a second. Um, I have a strange echo in the. Do you hear me? Oh, I hear you fine, and I don't ah, have. No, I don't. Better. I don't. It's better. Okay. So I was going to say that um, I I'm a very enthusiastic fan of science fiction films and also horror films. And there are several films where, for example, like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, <laughs> where you have those, the beginning of the films where you have those scenes where someone says, oh, this is Uncle Pete, but Uncle Pete has been changed. He's not himself anymore. And then you meet that Uncle Pete and he's perfectly normal. And it's a, it's a wonderful setup for creating this doubt 
between two people who is the crazy one and who is the real one or has anyone been changed at all mm -hmm. so i find it also very an existential question because i think everyone knows this feeling in a way in a way that you think you know someone very well and mostly the people we are very close to and suddenly we discovered <laughs> <laughs> We are very much bound to our own perception. We, 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 we live in our own body and we are not really able to another human being. So this is maybe the, the basis of what that film was developed on. Mm -hmm. you know, now, I know you wrote this in German originally. How was that with the translation then into English? Because... This is your first English language film. Yes. Um, well, I have made one film in French language before. And I have to say, compared to the French uh, translation, the translation into English was easier. And I have, the, I have the feeling it has got to do with the... Also with the, the humor, mm -hmm. I think my films do have a sort of dry, dark humor. And, and English language, it's really strange to say that, but maybe especially the British <laughs> humor is very close to a sort of Austrian humor. Mm -hmm. Because I think both, both have a very yeah, dry and dark humor. It's, it's the ridiculousness of human existence is is well kept in the English language. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I I liked that sort of translation. It was easy to put, to translate the 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 yeah the humor of the dialogues into English language. Mm -hmm. And and I like English. English is short and precise without being banal. So I'm. Uh, very happy with that language. Well, and and I love the fact you brought up the you know the humor of Austrians. It's true with Germans. My grandparents both came from Germany, and mm -hmm. all of my extended cousins either are still there or came from there. And yeah, I grew up with a very a very dry, dark sense of humor. Uh, mm -hmm. And I yeah. think it's because of being around them. And yeah. so you really see the beauty um, and the humor that comes out in something like Little Joe. And you do you have some, like when Bella is trying to get out of the lab and is climbing up, that's like a slapstick humor that works so yeah. well. But and yeah. it's like, and her butt is trying to go through that little window. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We did have. And that's just a piece of our exclusive interview with Jessica Hausner. And as I said, the whole thing will be up on BehindTheLensOnline.net uh, this week. Hopefully later tonight, as a matter of fact. But right now, we're going to bring on and welcome David Guy Levy is joining us. Are you there, David? I am. Hi, Debbie. How are you doing? I am fine. How are you? I'm pretty good. It's been a nice opening weekend, and now I get to know that people are seeing the movie and <laughs> sort of relax. Well, I know for me, at the top of the show, I was mentioning that 
We actually interviewed back in February of 2013 for Would You Rather. Oh, wow. Time has passed. Time has really passed. And I loved that film. The whole idea of the game of would oh, you, you would you rather. So I was looking forward to see what you were going to do with the Mandela effect. And uh, I know when when Katie Joe reached out to me about the film, I'm like, oh my God. Because uh, I knew what the Mandela effect was. So I was curious to see how you would incorporate this into film. And knowing what you had brought before... Uh, I was really anxious to see what you would do here, and you did not disappoint me at all. Oh, good. You know where did the <laughs> where did the idea for this film and the tack that you take come from? And hand in hand with that, the amount of research that you did because you have some bona fide theories in here that have long been discussed about the Mandela effect and various hypotheses. So I'm curious what led you to this and then what kind of research were you doing to come up with this particular script? Well, um, when I first heard about it, uh, my friend was just telling me about all these examples, um, and they were blowing my mind. Uh, you know, pop culture references, um, and at the same time, though, just coincidentally, I was uh, sort of really fascinated with simulation hypothesis, which is theories that we are living in a computerized simulation. Uh, just, you know, because there's existential thought that goes into that, and I've always been drawn to that kind of philosophy and, and, and way to examine my own life. And so when I, when I came across what the Mandela effect was, I immediately drew a, a line to the two and thought, well, this is a, this is a way into making a story. And, uh, and at the same time, you know, I was going through a traumatic time in my life. Uh, my partner had just gotten diagnosed with cancer, and even though she, she's fine now, so don't worry, but uh, it was a very traumatic experience, and I was asking myself a lot of, you know, ridiculous questions about my own reality, and, and those three things came together, and I just started forming a story about a family that loses a daughter, and while one, you know, parent, the mother, is maybe healing in a more traditional way, the father instead goes down this rabbit hole of, of trying to maybe, uh, you know, figure out how to change things or even bring his daughter back. Mm-hmm. Which, and I think everybody out there can relate to both, both of, of the positions yeah. that you yeah. present, because... And even those may traditionally grieve in the back of your mind, you're probably thinking, you know, what, what if, the what if, what if something was different? What if uh, there was an accident and they never went, stepped into the street? What if the stuffed animal didn't go floating into the ocean? What if I had not taken my eyes off of somebody for a moment? So uh, you really tap into... What, what's, uh, 
Um, so let me just say that what's really interesting is since I've made this movie, you know, there's a, a whole community of people who've reached out to me who actually, you know, really spend a lot of their time thinking about this stuff and the mm. Mandela effect. And uh, what I've learned is that a lot of people come to this subject matter uh, from trauma. Uh, mm-hmm. They, you know, they, they are going through their own uh, personal dramas and, and when they're presented questions about their own reality, they then really, you know, uh, start looking into what the answers might be. Mm-hmm. Well, I know as I was watching the film, I mean, I immediately I was taken back de- to decades ago. And I remember discussions in school. And I actually, I think I was in sixth or seventh grade, posited the argument and said, well, this isn't real. Who says that this is real? Yeah. What if there is some, and I remember I got just, it's like, how can, you know, you, you know, what is wrong with you? You know, I bucked the norm. I'm so sorry. I bucked the norm, even in sixth grade. Uh, But who's to say? And that's, I love the exploration uh, and the dialogue that you open up with this film. So I'm, I'm thrilled that so many people, we're touched by what you've done, but that's really interesting that it's through trauma that a lot of them start questioning. Yeah, like I was showing this movie to uh, uh, a lovely a lovely woman who came up to me afterwards, and she was emotionally affected, and she said, you know, I watched my parents be murdered in front of me uh, as a child, and uh, through my whole belief, in reality out the window and and watching this movie it just was really personal for me and when someone says that to you you definitely take notice because i've never had a reaction like that to yeah. my work before uh, wow so once you you get this yeah. idea you get this concept how do you how did you approach uh sitting down and crafting a script for this number one but designing your visuals because when we get to the third act you have some really cool visuals happening here uh with vfx so i'm i'm curious because you know to to really sell this and not just make it some cut and dried clinical piece almost you have to have something visually enticing on top of good performances and a structure, you need something that's really going to hammer home the concepts that you're setting forth here. So I'm curious your approach to this. Well, I knew when I was crafting a story, I wanted to do something similar to the movie Safety Not Guaranteed, where the whole story, you don't know if Mark Duplass is really a time traveler or just a guy who drank the (laughs) Kool-Aid. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, at the end of the movie, you have this huge time uh, machine sequence that really satisfies the journey you've been on. And uh, so I knew I wanted to end up on that sort of magical note. And uh, and then, you know, we're an independent f- movie. This movie cost us $400,000. You know, it's something we made as a labor of love, and we didn't really have the time or the money to do what you know, we would have been able to do if a, a studio had said, let's go make this movie. Um, and so it took, uh, you know, a year to do the visual effects because we needed to find a team. 
that was just as excited about telling the story as we were because they weren't going to be getting the money that you would be getting if a studio was making you do these effects. And it was a collaboration, but it definitely was a, was a, a, exactly what I had in mind. You know, it was, it was these specific effects that weren't based in, you know, the physics of our daily lives, like with, with like the wind blowing and, you know, and the ground shaking, it was about, you know, digital glitches. And we had to come up with, you know, these different set pieces of, of how, when the simulation comes crashing down, you know, what it would look like. And um, as soon and, as I uh, saw the, it, the it first one, <laughs> as soon as I saw the first one on the bus, that was like, whoa. Yeah. And then it just intensifies. And uh, yeah. I just thought that was so clever um, at Thank what you. you did. Because it also reminded me of, you know, of Pixar. Ralph wrecks the Internet. Um, when things yeah. are getting all glitchy. But you really take this to the extreme. Uh, and I just, I just really appreciated the that effect that you brought to this film and it looks really cool well thank you i mean <laughs> it, it was it was a puzzle um it was uh it was something where we were on set with the vfx guys and we'd have to slow everything down because we'd all be scratching our heads and and just realizing like we were coming across these walls and we had to figure out how to scale them um uh, but yeah, I was very, I was very proud, and I think at the end it gives everybody that magical, you know, uh, you know, Don Quixote was right feeling, you know. Mm-hmm. And we all want to, we we all look for that in our lives at some point. You know, it's at some point I think all yeah, of us. Yeah, and we are can children. only get that in fantasy. That's just it. Well, unless the the base reality is screwed up, and we're not really in reality. Well, that's the best part about this movie is like, uh, I, you know, I could probably look at some Mandela effects and sit down with you and logically explain them away. Oh, yeah. But, uh. No, we all, we all can, you know, it's, it's very, it's easy Uh, to do that. But I can't explain simulation theory. Right. Yeah. But. Yeah, you know, and here's something. So I still don't know if we're living in a simulation or not. You know, in today's world, I hope we are. Uh, <laughs> there's, <laughs> Me too. There's so many things. I hope we are. Um, Your casting, you bring, you've worked with him so many times now. Charlie Hoffmeyer. Um, Charlie is back, and he and he stars as, as the dad as Brendan. Um, our coder, our video game coder, watching him almost descend into madness of obsession. Really intense performance from Charlie. What told you Charlie was the right guy to pull this this role off? Uh, well, I knew he was a good actor, so that's where I began. And then I also... Uh, knew that he had a neurotic quality that I thought this character <laughs> needed. Um, and I knew that 
he was going to be able to approach the role with this sort of nuanced, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like just this unbalanced uh, approach. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can feel his heart beating, you know, as you look at him. And and it's a character who's questioning everything. You sort of want to feel uh, a lack of stability, and and I could see that uh, in his performance. So we wrote it with him in mind, and even you know developed the last draft of the screenplay with him involved. Wow! And of course, a perfect counter to Charlie is Alexa Palladino, who everybody can also watch in The Irishman right now. Um, so. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, and she she is a perfect uh, a perfect calm balance to what Charlie brings to Brendan, but she's got a twist in there too. That's one of the the great things with the adults in here. You've got some nice twists happening with their characters, um, and I just think that she's a perfect complement to Charlie and for and for the character of Claire. Oh, she's so talented, and she approached the the role as someone who maybe wasn't noticing these changes like her husband's, but she she came up with this interesting approach where she wanted her body to remember what happened, but not her mind. And so as her character starts to go through changes in the second and third act, uh, you know, she, she sort of has this, like, breakdown, and it was all based on her trying to have these physical memories of a reality she wasn't in, uh, maybe cognitively at the moment. And as we see a breakdown, I mean, there's an intensity that you can only hope from an actor uh, that you wrote a character like that for because, you know, she uh, she has an intensity. And that's why Scorsese works with her and Sidney Lumet. And, you know, we were lucky to have her for such a great supporting role. Yeah. And, of course, you know, one of my favorites, and I will see him in, in virtually anything, Clark Peters. Uh, who steps in as the scientist, Dr. Fuchs. Um, so well cast, uh, casting Clark uh, in this role. Was there anybody else that you had in mind for that part? Because I can't, the calm, short of Morgan Freeman, I can't see anybody else really bringing uh, to the table what Clark brings. He was on the, the he was on the casting list uh, from the beginning, and you know there was a moment when I was going through the list and I was researching the actors on it and and I typed him into YouTube, and I found all these videos of him having these conversations about uh, reality and awareness and about you know some really ancient ancient Eastern uh, you know ways to approach life and and. And it was almost like I was watching the character. And when we reached out to him, you know, and he was interested in in doing the movie, uh, the first few times I got to talk to him, we didn't even talk about the role. We talked about, you know, the basic existential questions in life. And I could tell he was drawn to the material just because he was just as interested in the stuff as we were. Mm -hmm. How exciting is that for you as a writer-director? When the the talent, when the actors are, they're looking at this not just as a role, not just as, hey, this is kind of interesting, but they really, they get it. And they're really drawn into this. Oh, it's the best. 
Yeah. Um, and they still are. Like, we just spent the week together sort of, you know, trying to promote the movie and, and getting all the, you know, spending all this time in between together. And, and all we talked about were these bigger ideas. <laughs> and it was exciting to, you know, it's rare. It is rare. And we all were very cognizant of that. And, and uh, we just felt very warm inside because it was a journey that we'll never forget. Mm-hmm. And of course, I would be remiss not to mention she's only in one scene, but she's got a diehard legion of fans, Renee Watson, as Dr. Fuchs' wife. Um, she is one of the yeah. most beloved characters uh, on General Hospital, and the fans were t- so up in arms <laughs> when she left. She got a, a role on a prime time series, um, stepped away from her role in GH. Now she's back, and every the entire fan base is just, oh, my God, Stella's back, Stella's back. Um, they're so, her fans are just rabid. Um, so I yeah. hope, I hope that they all go see this film. Me too, me too. Um, you know, you've produced a lot of stuff in between. Something that you were an EP on uh, last year that I love, London Fields. Didn't get a lot of traction, but I thought that was a really interesting film that Matt Cullen directed uh, with Amber Heard. Um, you know, what What made you want to, because you've done more producing than directing and writing. So I'm curious, what is it that makes you step behind the camera as a director, David? Um, well, I went to film school to be a director, but I also love the process and I love collaboration and, and I love storytelling. And sometimes the opportunity to do those things isn't, isn't the one where you get to direct, but it is the one where you get to spend time, you know, for a common goal. And that was a movie that was from a book that everyone claimed was unadaptable and maybe they were right, but it was, it was still worthwhile. And it was a, it was a it was a ten year journey. We started doing that, you know, in two thousand and four, uh, and we had different filmmakers along the way, like David Cronenberg and David McKenzie and Michael Winterbottom, and we had different stars along the way. And then you know it got made in the way it got made, and it was it was enjoyable for me to watch it on the big screen, even though. It is also like one of the biggest flops in a in a wide release history. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you know we are still proud of that because it was more of an art piece than a you know a Hollywood you know fair situation. Well, I have to say that when you mention it being an art piece, it's beautiful, high polish. It's beautiful to look at. And with a film like London Fields, that draws you in. Um, so, you know, I'm sorry that more people, that it did not get more traction uh, and more interest. Because it really is, it's worth watching. Because it is so... And I think, you know, it becomes more special. Yes. Because we get to, you know, in 10 and 20 years, look back and be like, how did that get made? Aren't we glad that it did? And and doesn't it even make it more special because it's a gem you can find, you know, in the DVD bin and say, what's this? And and discover it all over again. Yeah. 
And I mean, and Amber Heard and Billy Bob Thornton, come on. that That's an interesting pairing in and of itself in a film. <laughs> I agree. Yes. <laughs> All you can do, we got to laugh. We got to laugh at that one. So I'm curious, how did you, with the, going back to the Mandela effect here, David, I'm curious, how did you decide how far to push the, uh, the, the concept of the Mandela effect and then the idea of the simulation hypothesis. Cause you could have gone so much well, further. Uh, Clearly you could have gone yeah, so much I mean, further. The, I think we wanted to present a story with these basic existential questions, mm-hmm. but we also knew we had a very limited budget. We had to make it for what we could afford to. And, and we could only afford to shoot it for, you know, two and a half weeks. And, uh, and so when you're crafting a story, you try to, you know, do it in those parameters. Um, and, you know, it's the same kind of pressure you, that, that you might have with a studio film. It's just a lot more limitations. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you craft your story accordingly and you say, I want to get these ideas and I want to get this message across, but I have to do it in a way that is realistic and that has parameters. And so we just sort of tried to contain it in a way that also I think left us better off because it becomes a film about a family going through grief and, mm-hmm. uh, and in a, in settings that we can all relate to. It takes place in this family's home. It takes place in the basic location surrounding them. And it's not like a movie, the matrix where you're sort of being chased by giant bug creatures and dodging bullets in slow motion, you know, it's, it's about the stuff, the daily situations we might relate to, and it makes you wonder if it's real or not, you know, and, and so those parameters make it a more intimate experience. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think it works beautifully, and I'm really impressed. You brought this thing in, in, what is this, 80 minutes, 81 minutes and 19 seconds or something? Amazing. Yeah. I mean, very, very, <laughs> you know, I, and I was waiting for more. And you don't realize that the time has passed. It moves very quickly. Your editing is really well done, um, especially as we're watching um, Brendan having his obsessive, compulsive, you know, meltdown almost. Um, you really have that cut so cleanly and so tightly beyond, beyond impressive. Thank you. And, you know, like we had these ideas and we wanted to tell them in a short, easy to film way. But now that we've done it, we still have all these ideas. And I think we might even want to take the material and expand them now and use this as a calling card to tell an even bigger story on a similar subject matter. And so me and my, my producing partners were already talking about, you know, what would a, a limited series look like? What would a full series look like? You know, what would uh, a different take on, on simulation theory look like? It's definitely gotten us hungry to tell more stories like this. Oh, I would love to see more. I would love to see more. <laughs> cool. And I love the idea of a limited series. Uh, because then you could... Yeah, I'm really gravitating to the TV format. Because you could focus on individual characters and different, and different 
uh, simulation hypotheses. Um, that I think. Yeah, and in a film, you have to sort of streamline your ideas mm-hmm. and stick stick to the the path and just get from A to B. But on a TV show, you can have a new idea and dedicate a whole episode to it. Yeah, I think I I think that would be just brilliant. I also think this is a as in its present form. I think this is perfect for a stage show. Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah, I think uh, I like I like cross-platform uh, material, you know, like and I think theater theater for a piece like this would, would do very well. How would we would do that end sequence on stage That's, would be exciting. Right? Yeah, I, it's and I think you'd have, I mean, practical effects would come into play, but you just think about what can be done with stage production design and i i and lighting and i i think that would be just in it's something incredible to see unfold if if you design it right well if any broadway producers are listening let's talk <laughs> so now bef- we're going to run out of time but before we do where can everyone see the mandela effect um, well, if your listeners are in the United States, it should be pretty much everywhere they get their VOD options from. If they have, uh, you know, cable or satellite, they're on-demand channels. And, uh, you know, iTunes, Amazon, uh, Voodoo, Xbox, PlayStation, all those places. Mm-hmm. And then if there are anyone listening overseas, I've heard that Vimeo On Demand is a good place to go where uh, you'll still be able to pretty much watch it without much trouble. Oh, nice. Very, very nice. I didn't get a chance to check on Spectrum. I always like to check on Spectrum and see if something is there, because for whatever reason, sometimes stuff doesn't end up on there. I was remiss and did not get to check and see if Mandela Effect was available on there yet. <laughs> so that I was... hope it is. I assume it is, but... I can't confirm. <laughs> yes. You know, generally the new stuff drops on a Tuesday. So if it's not there today, maybe it'll be there tomorrow. But you know, I'm Katie knows I'm going to go look. Yeah. She knows I will look <laughs> to find out. So what is next? <laughs> what did you then, David, before I let you go, what did you learn about yourself as a director in making the Mandela Effect? Um, I learned not to be so concerned with schedules of production because I still, I think, was a little timid on set with making my days and not putting ourselves back in the schedule. And in the edit, I sometimes regretted that because I always could have used more coverage and more ways to approach a scene. And, you know, uh so sometimes I, I'll watch a scene and I won't be as happy with it as maybe the viewer is because mm-hmm. I always wanted to do more. And I think on the next one, I'll be a little less careful with the schedule and a little more uh, of an anarchist on set. <laughs> well, I can't wait to see what you do next, David. Um, I can't thank you enough for taking oh, time to come on the show today. This is spectacular. I don't want to wait six years to talk to you again, though. Uh, so <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> yeah, because I knew. I, I said, no, I've talked to David. You know, I was sure I had. And then I went digging through, and lo and behold, 
there, there it was in the computer, in the archive, our, the full audio interview, my review, the whole nine yards. And I'm like, I, I, I know Alzheimer's isn't setting in yet. Um, so this has been a total... Well, you know, we're, we're filmmakers with, with big ideas, and we don't like to wait to tell them, so we just try to make stuff. And uh, maybe we'll just we'll keep doing it, but, you know, I would like that chance to to do it on a studio level, and hopefully yeah. it won't take six years. Well, I can't wait to see what you give us next. But in the meantime... Mandela Effect is out there. Everyone can see it. I'm going to watch it again. I can tell you that for sure. Um, so thank you so yeah. much, David. And please, you must come back on the show again. Anytime. I love talking to you. Great. Thanks so much, David. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. And that was David Guy Levy, writer-director of The Mandela Effect on digital platforms, VOD, and all that cool stuff everywhere right now and helpful hint if you're overseas because hello to our italian listeners our listeners in russia and england and all the other european countries um vimeo on demand that is your tip from david you should be able to to watch the mandela effect vimeo on demand uh on your computers that is all the time we have today uh next week is still up in the air Pam's in there nodding, making a face. Um, so it's going to depend on who's available and what's happening. We definitely will not be here the last two Mondays of December, the 23rd. And is it the 23rd? I'm looking the 23rd and the 30th. We will definitely be back here, irrespective of next week. We'll definitely be back here on Monday, January 6th after the holidays. But we'll see, again, we'll see what happens next week. In the meantime, movie reviews and interviews and trailers and news and so much more movie stuff on BehindTheLensOnline.net. You can also find my reviews and interviews in multiple sources, print and online, around the globe. So, until next time, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. (laughs) 